go ahead and open up your Bibles uh, to 2 Corinthians. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be a black pew Bible somewhere around you. Um, we're going to look at chapter 1 this morning, so you can find that probably on about a page 963 of the pew Bibles. Um, and this morning, uh, just in particular, before we jump into the sermon, just keep having this recurring thought. I mean, just that God is present with us here. Um, he's not far off. He's not distant from us. Um, but He's present with us. Um, he's present in us, in and through the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about uh, in this series called Gifted. Um, and in a particular way, He's here to meet us at our point of need. Um, he knows exactly where you are this morning. He knows exactly how you walked in this room. Um, and his commitment to everyone in this room is that you walk out different, right? I mean, this isn't just for um, us to check off the box to say that we've been to church today. This is actually about God himself giving us more of himself as he reveals his love to us in and through Jesus. So and I, I hope that we can posture our hearts that way this morning because God is present with us um, to bless us. Uh, as you can see on the screen, uh, we are going through a series called Gifted. And what we're aiming to do is to have every person um, just begin to answer in a meaningful way, why am I on the planet? Why am I here? Why do I exist? What are the unique ways that God has gifted me and wired me? Right? And, and more importantly, like we don't do this isolated from one another. How do we do that together? Like in a meaningful way to reach our city, to be able to share the, the good news of Jesus that we've received. So we all have, uh, we looked at last week, a manifestation of the Spirit. So every person that, that has been born again has the Spirit and is, uh, use, is to use those gifts to be able to build up the body, but also to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. Um, when we talk about gifts, oftentimes um, we kind of look at it very theoretically or very academically, you know. Um, there's a lot, usually a lot of test-taking and I don't want to dismiss that like altogether, um, but the gifts that God has given you, they're not as much something you discover as much as they're something that he reveals. And he reveals how you're gifted and how you're wired um, as you get in the lives of people. So whether that's in the, the community of faith or whether that's being on mission in the world God's gifting and wiring in you is going to be revealed as you actually love one another and as you actually love the world um, in and through Jesus Christ. Um, and this morning, we're going to look at one of the primary ways that God reveals our gifting, right? We're going to look at how God reveals our gifting through what we suffer. So we're going to see one of God's primary schools is the school of suffering. Um, I want to begin this morning by reading from a, a short play by Thornton Wilder. It's called The Angel That Troubled the Waters. Now, I'm not a big, like, play-reading kind of guy, but I've heard uh, excerpts of this play, like, over the years. And so, as I began to open up 2 Corinthians 1, that, that image came to my mind. And I actually looked it up, and it's only uh, three short pages. Uh, so, I, I want to bring you into... 
um, this play. I want to read a few lines from it. Um, the setting um, is the pool of Bethesda. I don't know if you get how familiar you are with Scripture, uh, but in John chapter 5, there is this pool, and legend has it that when an angel touches the water, that the first person that gets in the water will be healed. That's the setting of this Thornton Wilder play. And what Thornton Wilder does really well in this particular short play is he kind of gets in the heart of what it would be like to be at that pool. Like to be so close to hope, right? So hope, so close to the hope that you can be healed, so close to the fact that you can be made whole, right? Be so close yet so far away. Imagine watching someone that you've been at that pool with for years get in the water. There's simultaneously this joy of seeing someone healed and then the disappointment of that not being you. That's kind of the the setting that he has for this play. And it all centers around a, a newcomer to the pool of Bethesda. This is a doctor. And instead of having a physical malady like being an invalid or lame or blind... His wound is inward. He carries the burden of all the people that he's cared for, and he's carrying around the burden of depression. This is what he prays at the pool. The doctor says this. He says, My work grows faint. Heal me, long-expected love. Heal me that I may continue. Renewal, release. Let me begin again without this fault that bears me down. So, I mean, he is going through this internal angst. He's carrying this burden of depression. He's watching all of these people that have all these serious needs around him. He's longing to be released. But the, the invalids that are around the pool, they begin to mock him a little bit. They're like, like, what in the world are you doing here? Like, you can walk around. You are healthy. Like, there are a lot more people that are in more desperate need than you are. And so as he begins to process this, though, he begins to just go through this internal dialogue and he's more and more desperate in his mind. He's thinking there's so much more that I could do in love service if I was healed. There's so much more that I could do if I would be set free. And there comes a point in the play when he's about to get in the pool and be healed. And the angel puts out his arm and he says, draw back, physician, for this healing is not for you. And this is where. What the angel says to him is profound. And if you get this, like what I'm going to say right here, you're going to get everything that I have to say today. The angel says to him, without your wound, where would your power be? It is your very remorse that makes your voice low. Your low voice tremble in the hearts of men. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children on earth as Can one human being broken on the wheels of living? In love service, only the wounded soldiers can serve. So as we look for our gifts to be revealed, what 2 Corinthians 1 is going to teach us and what Thornton Wilder puts so well is your wound is your gift. Your brokenness is your gift. Right. In love's service, only wounded soldiers can serve. God's power and his strength and his grace, they flow from our weaknesses. Right. 
They flow from the place where God meets us at our point of need. Your greatest gifts flow most oftentimes from your greatest pain and your greatest tragedies. So what you're going to be able to begin to see is God's redemptive love in and through your life. So we're going to see that from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you are able, could you stand with me as we read God's word? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us not rely, make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, right now I pray that you would speak very clearly and very specifically to our hearts. I pray that this wouldn't be an academic exercise where we just learn neat things. I pray that it would be uh, a way of you getting us more of yourself. I pray that you would begin to bring clarity to us in the midst of our stories, in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our need of a Savior. Uh, I pray that you would prove yourself strong and trustworthy um, as we look at places in our hearts that we don't naturally want to go. Um, And then we can be confident in the way that you have gifted us and wired us, Lord, that you're using all of those things for our good. Um, To do that, we need you to send the Spirit to help us to pay attention. Apart from you, we can't do anything. Father, I I need your help to proclaim this word. Father, I need you to help me to love the people that I'm going to speak to more than I love speaking. I pray that you would help. I pray that you would help me to love this church in the strength that you supply, so that you receive the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So it may seem um, like a little bit of a stretch to try to begin to think about the way that we're wired and gifted in light of our sufferings. But that's one of the major reasons that I love the book of 2 Corinthians. Like, 
I mean, if you've ever been in a small group and someone asks you, like, if you could only have, like, one book of the Bible, you know, you take that away, like, which one would you choose? I would pick 2 Corinthians every time because it gives such an honest appraisal of human weakness and God's power, right? I mean, this is a, this is a book, um, like, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he's the one that wrote this book. Most of the time, if you hear things about Paul, I mean, you're, you're going to think this dude is like, he is a man's man. I mean, he is one that's going to roll into town. I mean, the scriptures tell stories about him being shipwrecked and beaten, right? I mean, there's just a boldness that's attached to Paul. But like when he showed up on the scene, like most of the time, the people in the churches were like, that's Paul. Like, that's him. Like, he's not a very good speaker, right? I mean, he's not much to look at. And because of all the things that he was suffering, in particular the Corinthian church, there were some leaders that were in place that were kind of undercutting the message that Paul was preaching by saying, if God was really with this guy, would he let him suffer this much? Really? You know, like, I mean, look at all the hard things that he's had to go through. That's obviously a sign that God's not with him, that God has abandon him. And what the message of Second Corinthians is, is that that really the, the reality of suffering and God's power in the midst of suffering authenticates the message of Jesus. Right. I mean, if you're going to follow a crucified savior, you're going to follow a suffering savior. It's going to take you headlong into suffering yourself. God is glorified when he sustains his people in the midst of difficulty. So, I mean, you're not going to find that on a church's website, right? You're not going to find that in marketing material. Like when you say, hey, hey, let's go out and let's reach the world, right? You're not going to get this call to suffer. But that's exactly what the scriptures describe. A gospel that's big enough to sustain people in the midst of their suffering. And what comes into view in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is that your suffering is not just primarily about you. It's something that God's going to use to reveal how he's gifted you. It's going to be something that he uses to meet other people. So God is a redemptive God that does not waste any part of our stories. The road that God calls us to walk down, he never promises that it's going to be smooth. But he does promise that he's going to be with us. That he's going to walk with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's what comes into view in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. The school of suffering takes us right into the heart of God himself. Look at how God wants to be known. Verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are being comforted by God. So what Paul is saying here is suffering is the, the platform that God uses to display his power and his glory. And he wants the Corinthians and he's reminding us this morning that the thing that God wants to be known for is to be the God of all comfort. Right. He wants to be known as the father of mercies. Like how much different is that than how we normally 
think of God. So let's just think about this together as a moment. This, this means that God loves people. He loves broken people. He loves people that are in pain. He loves people that are suffering. And more than all of that, He loves to comfort people in the midst of their suffering and their pain. And how does He do that? He does that by the comfort that we receive from Him and we pass on to other people. God is committed to comfort people in the midst of their pain. That's so much different than the way that we normally view God. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I think that, that God is kind of like Mr. Banks from um, Mary Poppins. You guys seen that movie at all? I have a lot of little kids, so you have to go with me on this. But Mr. George Banks, like he is this quite British man who always tells his kids to keep a stiff upper lip, right? He's always trying to keep them in line. Like, that's how we view God oftentimes, right? I mean, he, he just wants to, to kind of be involved in the big picture, but he's not really involved in the details. What Psalm 56 tells us is that there is a God that keeps track of your tossings. There's a God that knows when you can't sleep. There's a God that knows why you can't sleep. There's a God that knows your anxious thoughts. There's a God that knows your condemning thoughts. And He takes track of them all. Not only does He keep track of our tossings, but it says in Psalm 56 also that He keeps our tears in a bottle. He knows what no one else knows. He knows the exact number of tears that you have shed. And He's saving those things as a memorial of His sustaining grace in your life. God is paying attention. He's not indifferent to pain. But one of the primary, uh, really the weapons of the enemy is to say that God does not care about your situation. He's not involved in the details of your life. And sometimes even worse, that maybe God is the cause of your suffering. Right? So all those things are, are kind of coming into view. And God is to be known as the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies. So this means that there is no real and lasting comfort apart from God Himself. Right? Real, true peace, real, true mercy only comes from God Himself. Real comfort comes from God. And we live in a world that is absolutely just fascinated with comfort. Right? I mean, you can take, for instance, we just took a road trip uh, to Florida, my wife and myself, 18 hours we drove together. And thankfully, like we had dual controls on the air conditioning, right? So she likes it arctically chilly, even like when it's cold outside. So she's always got it on 60. Thankfully, like I'm a little bit more cold blooded. I guess I need it to be warm, right? So I have it on 75. But that's just a, that's just a nod from our culture that they value comfort or a sleep number bed, right? They want this person to be able to sleep with this level of firmness and this person over here to get a little bit uh, more comfortable. We live in a world that's obsessed with comfort. Like, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And one of the primary reasons that I'm grateful is like when I go to the mall, right? I mean, how many of you guys have been to the mall like with your wife, right? And how many of you have lasted more than an hour, Right? Okay, well, I have. 
But there's something very important that you have to know, like when you go to the mall. You have to know those stores that are committed to your comfort, right? So you want to kind of put those like at the forefront of your shopping experience. And, and there's always that point where like I'll go into those stores and they have a couch. And my eyes kind of lock with another guy. And we kind of have the nod and we just kind of take a load off, right? I mean... I love those stores that are committed to our comfort, right? The, this country is committed to comfort. And I'm not even like, like trying to dismiss that at all. Um, it's not just a nod at like we're selfish, right? This desire for comfort. On another level, on a more deeper level, this appeal for comfort tells us something deeper. Life is hard. Right? Life is painful. And so if you can make your temperature a little bit more comfortable or your bed a little bit more comfortable or your shopping experience a little bit more comfortable, right? You're going to take that, right? Because day in and day out, you experience pain. Ray Cortez says this. He says, There are only two kinds of people in the world. Broken people who have run to Jesus for healing and broken people who have That's it, right? So we have a world that is obsessed with comfort because there's a world that's broken. There's a world that needs to encounter Jesus, right? And we are the only people on the planet that know the God of all comfort. So we have people that are looking for it anywhere and everywhere, and we are the gatekeepers of God's comfort and His mercies, right? But he doesn't just do that in an isolated way. He wants to do that by using your own personal story. So think about this in terms of your gifts. Like everything that you have been given by God is to display his mercy, to dispense his comfort to people that are in need. Right? We are made in his image. And this isn't just like a Christian thing, right? I mean, it's... Part of being made in the image of God. You can look in the business world, right? I mean, you get this business guy and he achieves a certain level of success. And what does he do? He looks for a younger guy that reminds him of himself, like coming up behind him so that he can pass on the knowledge that he's received. It's, it's a human thing to take what you have gone through and then try to help other people, right? Parents, I mean, I guarantee you, if you have a kid, the most passionate you get about your parenting is to try to help them avoid the mistakes that you made, right? It's human to try to keep other people from experiencing the same kind of pain that you have experienced. So, what we see from this passage, what you go through is not just for you, right? We all have stories of pain. We all have stories of affliction. But what we begin to see is that one way that God redeems our stories is by using us to redeem the stories of other people. Right? Have you ever thought about this? Like Romans 8.28, God causes all things to work for good for those that are called according to His purpose. Like we don't get a lot of answers to why in suffering and affliction in the Scriptures, but we do get this purpose. One of the ways that God begins to fulfill Romans 8.28 is by using you to dispense comfort and hope and healing to other people. So God has wired you to be a dispenser of His 
hope and His comfort. So, the implications for us before we get to other people means we press into our pain. Right? It's the hardest thing on the planet to do. You know, you know um, Louis C.K., who was a comedian, he, I think he was on Conan O'Brien. And he, he describes this eerie silence that we all feel inside of ourselves. And he says, when we pay attention to it, we get afraid. And so he said, that's the moment that, like, when we realize that we're utterly alone, that we pull out our cell phones, right? And we start to check social media. There's just this eerie feeling that goes on inside of us, that, that we're utterly and totally alone. And we have to be able to press in to those places where we experience pain. We have to be able to not conceal our wounds, right? The only way the church will function well, you know, Romans 12 says if one member of the body suffers, the entire body suffers. The only way that that happens is there's a degree of authenticity and there's a a degree of being honest about where we hurt, right? Because God wants to use what you're going through to help to reach other people. And this, um, I mean, this just gives us street cred with the world, right? I mean, we think that people that don't know Jesus, they need us to have it all together. I've said it before. They don't need our perfection. They need our perfect Savior. They need to experience a group of people that are familiar with their need. They need to experience a group of people that say, like, there's nobody that needs Jesus more than we do, right? And that that authenticates our message. And the truth is, like, we think we can fool people, but they can see right through it. People know if you're just giving them some polished speech about how God has met you, right? And they also know the truth if you're like in it with them. Like if you are a fellow companion. People that suffer have kind of an internal radar, right? It kind of magnetizes them to other people that suffer. They know like this person understands what I'm going through. This person has been where I've been. This person can help me, right? So we want to be those kinds of people that that don't conceal our wounds and people that are open and honest about our need for Jesus. Like, just think about for a minute, like, if we all could just let down our guard. If we could all just be who we are, be honest with where we struggle, be honest with how we need Jesus, what a safe place that would be, Right? That's what the world needs. That's how God's gifting and wiring begins to make its way into our lives. They need people to say, I've been where you've been. I know what you're going through. And as my wife oftentimes tells me, like not all the time are they looking for answers. They just want somebody to be with them, right? They just want somebody to know that, hey, I've been through the valley of the shadow of death and I can promise you, He's going to be there with you, right? That's what God wants to do in and through our lives. Um, On this point of need, uh, Eric, you can go ahead and start the video. I have a short video. I want you just to, to try to pick up on just who is the most generous, who is the most often given to 
meet people at their point of need. Is there any way I could ask you? Any way I could ask you? Is there any way I could ask you? Hey, excuse me, sir. Are you hungry? Because we, we actually just bought some food to give to someone, and uh, we were wondering if you would like it. I mean, it's two burgers and fries and a drink. It's, would you like it? All right, yeah, of course, man. Yeah, of course. Have a good day, man. Is there any way I could have some food? I'm really hungry. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you. How long have you been out here? How long have you been out here? I've lived here a long time. Yeah. Excuse me, sir.